veterinary medicine needs to take a step kind of into a more positive aspect. How can we spread you know, this education and this information as well as support for one another? Welcome back to That That Life. Bullying in the veterinary profession seems to be coming from all angles, including social media nowadays. So how do we as veterinarians and mentors not only improve the conditions in the profession, but also better prepare the next generation of veterinarians to mitigate these negative interactions? This is the question Dr. Megan Vaught and I discuss in this week's episode. Megan is the ECC Service Director of the Maine Veterinary Medical Center, who recently went through an onslaught of harassment due to poor reporting. Listen along as Megan draws from this recent situation as we evaluate what we as mentors and veterinary professionals can be doing to mitigate these scenarios from happening in the future. All right, let's get into it. Well, hey, Megan, welcome to the show. It's really exciting to have you. It's been a long time coming. We've been trying to record this for about two weeks, but we've had a uh, lovely golden retriever puppy who's um, made our time a little bit interesting, but uh, it's really nice to have you on the show. Yes, thank you for having me, and hopefully it'll be a little less eventful, but I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> Which, I mean, as we speak, this little golden retriever puppy is, hold on, this little golden retriever puppy is trying to put a tennis ball in my lap, <laughs> and now I have a very wet tennis ball in my lap. Thank you very much for that. Can you go play with it over here? All right. So, I mean, that's what you get for listening to a veterinary podcast. You have random animal and medical interruptions. Hopefully no medical interruptions today. So to kind of give people a little bit of a backstory. So Dr. Megan Vaught, you are the ECC Service Director for the Maine Veterinary Medical Medical Center, which I'll just shorten to MVMC because it is a bit of a mouthful. And your hospital was in the news pretty recently after a terrible news flash that went through. But today we're not really going to focus too much on the actual like what happened in that, but rather looking at it from the aspect of, all right, so these kind of things like they happen in the veterinary field. We have cases that get blown out of proportion. We have rude clients. We have veterinarians that, um, thankfully this wasn't in this scenario, but veterinarians that are rude to each other. And I'm looking at this First as a veterinarian, and then I'm also looking at this from the aspect of like veterinary students and new grads, and essentially, what are they thinking when they look at these kind of scenarios? They're probably thinking, oh my goodness, I'm about to end up in this profession, and I'm scared out of my mind. Like, what do I do with this? How do I move forward? How do we almost like prevent these things from happening in the future? I feel like we can't necessarily prevent, but how do we mitigate these type of situations? So that was a lot of backstory. I didn't really give you anything to start off with, but I guess like give us a a little bit of a backstory of like, yes, you're the ECC service director, but what does your day-to-day look like um, for you? Yeah, so here at MEMC, it's a little bit of, um, sorry, my toddler is screaming. That's okay. It's real life. It's real life. (laughs) No, but certainly I think a lot of it is is kind of that balance between inpatients, helping the ER, helping make sure that all patients are as stable as possible that are seeing other services or going into the OR or whatnot, just like we're seeing in every other hospital too. But as a critical care specialist, we're kind of overseeing anything that's in the hospital, anything that is being treated as an inpatient, as well as the things that are coming in in the moment that need to have that support. 
So it is a little bit of juggling at all times, which is great, but also a little bit unpredictable and unplanned. Unfortunately, those things can change at any one moment. So it is a great thing. It's kind of why I went into it. But at the same time, like you said, one little spicy feeling can kind of throw that balance off a little bit. And we have to really remember to work as a team to be able to get through those moments and not really try to internalize it, which can then bring down that flow. Absolutely. So does your hospital take on veterinary students or our new grads frequently? Yeah, we do have a couple of new grads or newer grads. They've certainly been growing through the years, which is so exciting. This is our first year with two veterinary interns. So they are brand new graduates and are joining us as their rotating internship year. So it's very, very exciting. COVID, again, didn't do us any solids. We haven't had a ton of externs recently because of everyone having to be really careful. But we have through the years definitely opened our doors to people that are looking for externships and whatnot while they're in their clinical year. That's really cool. Just providing them with that kind of experience. And in your talks with them, have you found that they're kind of echoing this idea that they're excited to become veterinarians, but they're a little bit scared for many, many reasons, and especially from the aspect of now we've seen this like big blow up episode. And like, how do we approach these new grads and these vet students to kind of give them an idea of like, yes, these things can happen. But like, how are you guys preparing them for those, I guess, tough conversations with clients or tough conversations with other veterinarians? Yeah, I think it's very tricky for sure, obviously with anything and every person, including clients, as well as staff and everybody in the building communicates very differently. So as I'm coaching and training people, that's how I try to have people process it a little bit is that we need to be present in the moment for each other, for our clients, for their families or for local resources, whether it be the ACO or whatnot, because there's probably stuff happening in their lives as well as whatever this moment may be. And a lot of times coming into the emergency room, it is a traumatic and highly emotional moment. And it's most likely not personal, even though having gone through this recently, it definitely does feel personal in the moment, but it's not. So we need to kind of be able to take a moment, bring ourselves down so that we're not really matching their energy, but also able to kind of meet them in the moment, be present there to really help them and what their needs are because they really most of them just need to be heard. It doesn't mean that some of these really bigger problems don't happen and they are unfortunately not preventable. But again, I think a lot of it is good communication and then having a good team behind you when they do happen to kind of work through that process um, and what resources are out there. For the newer grads or newer students or people that are coming through, you know, our I think some of the more newer people or even recent additions for per diem haven't necessarily heard of it, which seemed a little bit surprising to me, but certainly everyone has experienced these things, right? So everyone knows that this happens, unfortunately, usually not to quite the extent that we had it, but again, something that we want to kind of try to start changing the environment a little bit and how are we processing this? How can we spread the education out there so that we are trying to be a team and not necessarily having two people on opposite sides of the wall, again, because of COVID or whatnot, and we aren't meeting each other when ultimately both of our goals is to do what's best for the pet. Yeah, and something that you had said on another podcast you recorded 
was like bringing the human back into vet med and like that human element. And like you said, like no matter what the situation is, whether it's like client versus veterinarian or veterinarian versus veterinarian, like there is definitely an aspect that we lose and we forget about the human aspect of it all. And like when it comes down to it, when someone is really angry, like that's that's kind of like their heart issue. It's not against you per se. Right. It's it's in them. So there was a lot of things that you were just mentioning there in talking about caring for the team. And I want to break that down a little bit more. So if we were like the two of us were talking to a group of veterinary students who have a heard the story about what happened at MVMC and are a little bit scared about everything or even just a general type of sense to be like, hey, you know what? Remember like this communication aspect of veterinary medicine? Yeah, it's really important. So breaking down like, okay, what are the things that we would want to talk to them about? And from the one aspect, it's how do we create a psychologically and social like safe area for them when they come into this hospital? And a lot of that, I feel like, comes down to developing what your core values are in your hospital and really making sure that everyone, A, knows what they are and knows what it means to show those in the hospital and and how they care for each other. So what would be in your hospital maybe, like, what are some of the core values that you guys hold true to? Yeah, I would say for MVMC and for Rare Breed, it's fun, love, and respect. Those is really what it boils down to. And Certainly we want to provide, you know, beyond that, but it kind of puts it right into those pieces is that we're in this together. We want to provide the very best care that we can for both the families as well as their pets. And that's really the most important piece while doing that for the love of those pets and patients, as well as their families, because certainly they are just as important and having that kind of teamwork and respect there as well as for all the team members. So I think to totally echo what you just said, I think that those are really important. And to remember to stay in those places, it can be very challenging when people are a little bit more heightened or processing a really traumatic event, which they might have thought was as simple as an ear infection. And now you've just told them something wildly different. And that processing takes time. So providing them the space to have that processing to actually occur and to ask freely open at the questions, ask those questions that they want or need to have while having the time to do that, I think is really important, Um, which obviously is going to be a little bit different depending on the situation, the severity, as well as the hospital and having that trust. You know, there's a lot more trust in general practice, not because our goals aren't the same, but that things happen very quickly. And you just met me five minutes ago on emergency and critical care. And so you do have to be able to have that opening space for them to talk freely and ask, I find open-ended questions rather than just saying, do you have any questions? Which kind of then shuts that down a little bit because they don't necessarily feel safe to say yes. It's, you know, what other questions do you have? Or really giving them time if they feel frightened or sad or frustrated. Why don't you take a few minutes and then we can talk again when you you know when you're ready or when you've thought of other questions or you've talked to your family or being okay and strong enough which I also have definitely had to process through the years of grabbing another clinician it's totally okay to grab somebody else who's likely going to say exactly the same things but that that teamwork is really important 
Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at Venex. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our Vetex community. The Thrive Community is a race-accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetexinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. Yeah, like as you're saying, like talking about what your core values are within your hospital, making sure that everybody on the team is on the same page about what the core values are, what it looks like to implement this and how they communicate with each other, how they communicate with the clients. And then as you were just kind of alluding to there, there's an aspect of emotional intelligence that it's hard because we can't necessarily train this to every single veterinarian by the time that they graduate. Thankfully, they're starting to implement more of this. However, I find that there's a large number of students that just haven't had enough experience to, A, be aware of their own emotional intelligence. And so if they're not able to do that, they they then can't um, reflect on what is going on with these clients or with their staff members. And as you were just talking about there, you were essentially like, if you have an upset client that's like, hey, you met me five minutes ago, I want you to put all your trust into me, we're going to make a decision on your pet's life here. That's a big ask. And so being able to A, understand where you are, where your headspace is, is a huge thing, because maybe you just went through like three other euthanasias, and here you are, you're like, great, now I get to have another quality of life talk right in a row. So where am I emotionally as I'm going into this room? How am I reflecting on what the nonverbal communication is that this client is showing me? And so that I can recognize because chances are they're in a headspace where they're not aware of their own emotional intelligence. They're not aware of where they are. So it's up to us as the veterinarian to then say, hey, I understand this is a lot of information. I'm going to give you five minutes and I'm going to come on back. And then once you've had some time to process, then we can ask the questions. And so being able to create the space for them, maybe it's mirroring in your body image, maybe it's mirroring in your language or the tone of voice that you're using. But all of this is to say when we're bringing on these new grads and talking to these veterinary students, I feel like we really need to emphasize a bit more, A, the importance that emotional intelligence has in our day-to-day lives, A, from the aspect of it's going to help mitigate a lot of problems just by being aware of yourself and being aware of the people around you, but also like also like what is emotional intelligence? What does this look like? What does it mean? And from that, we can create those psychologically and social safe spaces so that A, our team feels like they have a a place that they can talk about the things that are happening in the hospital or around the hospital. But then also it, it just helps with the overall environment that we're in. So 
all of these like different layers because I feel like we started with this overarching view of there's like there is like bad things that happen in the veterinary profession between veterinarians and clients and veterinarians and other veterinarians or staff members and the vet students and the new grads like they're scared so what are we doing to help like implement these things so we're talking about things like just feel like I'm like summarizing a bit we're bringing in like what are the core values like and why are your core values what they are and how do you implement them? But then also because of what your core values are, that also stems from the emotional intelligence of your team and how well melded they are. So that's one aspect because you can bring people that have good personality, like matching personalities together, but you need to continually be strengthening that bond. So for MVMC, and I mean, especially after an event like that, that, that'll either break your team or it'll make your team. So for you guys, like, what are things that you're implementing to help strengthen that bond? Yeah, I think just as you said, you know, those moments are wild and crazy and you never expect them to happen. I do think, thankfully, we did really try to focus on the moment, focus on the patients that were in the building, the patients that needed us that were coming in, and really stick to what our goals are and that providing the very best care. And so in those moments, we did, it did bring people together. Certainly there is, you know, increased anxiety and stress and those sorts of things with all of the moments happening. But people did really come together, which was really great to see things that you're always trying to say, like, hey, more people can help answer the phones. And everyone from all positions throughout the hospital were answering telephones and rallying together to get those things done. In the moments, too, we had people from kind of veterinary social work in the hospital or remotely that were open to kind of having conversations and providing that support, which I think is really great as well. And that I think is a really important piece that we are also starting to bring more and more into veterinary medicine both for the clients and their processing of those items that they're going through, as well as for the staff as a whole as well. That's great, just to be seeing how you're able to find these resources. When you were talking about, I forget, was it with Dr. Annie Rourke, you were talking about how like the phone systems were just overloaded. Everybody from all aspects of the hospital had to come in and help answer these phones, had to help And at one point, you had to shut down the phones and just answer voicemail. And so everybody had to come together for those type of things. So there was that aspect. And then also just choosing to say, all right, we know all these things are happening. What is something that we can rally around? What's something that can help unify us? And you chose the, the patients and the clients that were currently in the hospital. And through that, everyone was able to say, all right, no, these, this is still my team. This is still the people that I can rally around and help strengthen everybody that way. And um, in the initial part of this, we talked a little bit about like some resources that have been in the process of being developed as a result. And so you've been working with NAMV. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about like what are some of these resources? Because we know those are essentially also ways to help bond your team together. Yeah, exactly. So working with Not One More Vet or NAMV, we are currently looking and building a cyberbullying task force that will provide resources. There are some free resources already out there. They're just not public on the internet for obvious reasons. But if you're ever going through something, you can always message them and get those resources. I did not know that they were available. Our communications team didn't know that they were there. So this is a great thing and a great resource to have and why we so so intensely want to spread the word out there so that everybody has that to them. 
but working on truly building on top of what's there already a cyberbullying task force to provide the support both from as an uh, like one-on-one -on -one individual basis as well as what are the the different positions in the different areas that you need for that which is social media media in general like the news or whatnot and how to tackle those things, how to communicate who is the best to speak to and who isn't the best to speak to, how to go through each of those steps, because it can be very isolating and very overwhelming very, very quickly. There's also going to be a veterinary kind of alliance task force or support task force to very similarly of a bunch of, hopefully, a bunch of people who are kind of saying, yes, veterinary medicine needs to take a step kind of into a more positive aspect. How can we spread you know, this education and this information, as well as support for one another. One thing we saw through all this is the outpouring of love and support of a veterinary community as a whole, throughout the whole world, really, is truly great. So now let's continue to do that. Put that education out there of how we can go through these moments together, how we can truly be positive resources for one another and not have that even vet-to-vet -vet kind of aspect, but also how can we help the pet parents help to prevent and kind of resource manage for when emergencies or just general health care costs do happen. How can we do a better job kind of preparing for those things? And then on top of that, AVMA is also going to have a web series out to talk about a bunch of these things as well. So we are partnering with them to get this web series moving. And um, we don't have the specifics on what those topics will be yet, but there will be several to address all of those items. Those are awesome. And just how many different layers there are and how many different resources that are looking at slightly different um, niche aspects of it, which will just give us a wider range that's available. And the one thing that you were talking about was like the that was ringing in the back of my mind was like 20 years ago, no one had any idea that we would have to be looking at like social media. Um, no one knew what social media was back then right. <laughs> um, as a part of what veterinary medicine is from the aspect of a that's where the clients are getting a lot of information, some good, some not so great as we know. But yeah. also like, what are we doing as veterinarians to put our voice out there? Because if we're not the ones putting our information out there and putting our faces and what we do and the, the value of what we do and the, the heart behind what we do out there, they're going to find it from someone else or somewhere else that's not correct and puts us in an incorrect light. And I feel like that's a big part of what that, correct me if I'm wrong, but a big part of what that task force can do is saying, all right, these are the things that are good to be doing out on social media, kind of giving not a black and white, but more like guidelines that we can follow and keep us in the lead. And there's a legal sense to everything that we have to do. So doing it in a legal sense, but also providing this information that talks to clients in a way that says, hey, we're here to help, not oh, you're a client and you probably went to Dr. Google, so I think you're stupid because I feel like that happens too. Yeah. So that's a whole other conversation <laughs> um, in itself. But from your aspect and everything that you've gone through, is that an angle that maybe your hospital or just the resources that you're helping to put together, is that an, an angle that you're looking at? Yeah, definitely. I think that just what you said, you know, Certainly, it's how to manage those things, but how to then get that information out there. What is the true cost and value of veterinary medicine? I think human healthcare has done a great job that 
you don't necessarily know how much medicine costs, but that has not helped veterinary medicine. Um, and so what are we doing? Veterinary medicine has grown so much in the last 5, 10, 15 years. And so a lot of the things that are happening in the human industry are actually happening in veterinary medicine, which we all know. But getting that information exactly like you said, with what we are doing, which is also a social media presence, what are those aspects and how can we do that together to kind of help educate or help spread the word for what that cost and value is and what the different specialties are. I think we all hear every day is, oh, there's a cardiologist for a dog. I know, right? And I think <laughs> those questions still come up and it's, it's okay. But then that clearly tells us that we need to be doing something more. Precisely, like whether or not it's like talking about specialties or, oh my gosh, like lab work costs that much. Right. And from our aspect, we're like, well, duh, it costs money, you don't have insurance. But from the last 20, 30, 40 years, A, we just didn't know enough and we weren't like, oh, this is something that we should really be doing um, in veterinary medicine and we're trying to catch up. But as us as veterinarians, like we get the value, we understand it. But how do we translate that into something that clients are not only understanding, but it's given to them in a way that helps them come to the conclusions on their own because A, it'll stick better and B, they'll have more ownership of it. And that's like um, a big aspect that I find in a lot of these social media trends that are happening is when a client comes to you and like they're dead set on raw feed, like that's a big one. And part of the reason is because they came to that conclusion on their own because of the information that was put in front of them. So in a way, they, they think it was their own idea, but it was just a conglomeration of ideas. So similarly with veterinary medicine, if we're able to put the information in front of them that lets them figure things out, and this takes on like a whole other aspect of like health literacy and can they even understand the things they were telling them because most of the information that we put out there is um, provided at a educational level that's above what most people are able to comprehend. Right. Different topic completely. I did an episode on it. That's a little plug. Anyway, I feel like that's a whole wormhole we could go down. But to kind of circle our wagons back around this whole idea of we're talking to these vet students, you guys are listening to this. And you've just heard us go through the whole shenanigans of like what we're trying to do to help. But like, what would you like, if you literally had like 300 students sitting in front of you, and they're about to graduate, and they don't know what to say, or what how to process a lot of the things that have just happened? Like, what would be your like 30 second soapbox motivational talk that you'd give them? Granted, I'm putting you on the spot, literally being like, and go. Oh, it's totally okay. I think it's probably multifactorial, but I think my biggest lesson through all of it is it's not personal. It definitely feels personal. You just have to remember that you went into this for a reason, that you love this field or you love working with pets. Hopefully it's not just because you wanted to not talk to people because you're going to talk to them every single day. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. But I think, you know, we all or most of us probably do love that combination of working with pets and their parents and providing the very best care that we can. But these moments can be hard. They can be isolating. You're not alone. You can reach out to people that are in the industry or not within your community that are not veterinary related or within the veterinary community, some of these resources. But we all know, too, that you're a person. 
And there's a lot going on in your life and there's a lot going on in the pet parent's life. And so how can we do that together to do it, what the ultimate goal is? And that, that obviously that goal is going to be different in each case. But I, again, I think that those are the biggest pieces that the more we can remember that we can be kind to one another and be present in the moment, we're going to go a long way. I love that. And I feel like that could actually be like on a shirt or on a sticker. Maybe you guys should go ahead and, right? There you go. Maybe one day you should totally do that. So I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat. I feel like we covered a lot of ground and just focusing on like, like how do we talk to these students about these problems and like what are we actually doing in the profession to make a difference? So I know you talked a lot about those resources. Um, We'll try and share some of the links in the show notes so students and veterinarians can go and check them out. Thank you guys again for coming along to another episode. Megan, once again, thank you. It's been great having you. But until next time, y'all, see ya. Thank you. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also, don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Fat Life. <laughs>